Welcome back once again to a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. My name is Jamal and I'm a Buddhist. I'm Jacob. I am a Christian. I'm Tanya. I'm also a Christian and I'm adequate. <laughs> yeah, ad- adequate, Tanya. This is great. I, I would like to think everyone is adequate in the eyes of God, but maybe that's, that's just my conception. I'd, I'd probably go even above adequate, Oh, I reckon. A- a- am I more than adequate then? I reckon everyone is cherished and beloved in the eyes of God. Oh, that is so lovely. So can we, so Jacob, this is our second attempt at having a a guest on here. And I would like to say, I I think the the average like niceness level goes up when they're a guest. I think you and me are just too mean to each other sometimes. This is, this is probably fair. Yeah. Yeah. So Tanya, um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. My absolute pleasure. So we should introduce Tanya. She is, as she said, a Christian and adequate, deeply adequate, I would say. Um, she's also a theologian, uh, someone who's walked with God for quite a while and has a book out, um, a newish book, which is called Unless They Are Sent, and is a collection of papers arguing uh, in affirmation of the ordination of women in the Lutheran Church of Australia and New Zealand. So, so what you're saying is, Jacob, unlike us, Tanya is actually qualified to be on this <laughs> podcast uh, and, and knows things. So I'm actually very much looking forward to hearing all about it. We, we can learn in this episode and, and hopefully the listeners will as well. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe just to well, start... I think us- it would be good for you to evaluate that at the end rather than the beginning, but let's just... <laughs> well, we we set the expectations high and, and then Excellent. the joke comes at the end of the episode and it's all downhill until there. It's all downhill from there. <laughs> Um, maybe just to start us off, um, Tanya, do you want to give us, I guess, a, a brief summary of your book, um, of what you're talking about there and kind of the key points, and we can we can riff off that and explore where the conversations take us? Oh, okay. That's an unexpected start. I was kind of thinking of bouncing off into God straight away, but um, I am a member of the Lutheran Church in Australia and New Zealand, and the Lutheran Church here does not ordain women, although the majority of Lutheran churches throughout the world do. And um, having sensed uh, a call to ordained ministry when, oh, let me see, 63 years ago, um, I'd been working clearly unsuccessfully towards it for uh, many years now. And the book was a collection of articles that have been written by people over the last 35 years speaking personally about call to ordination and arguing that the biblical texts that have been used in our particular denomination to prohibit ordination of women need to be seen in the light of the larger theme of scripture which is towards greater and greater inclusion and and um to notice that even in the Old Testament, God was calling women into the the service of God and certainly in the New Testament and in the early church. So, yeah, that's enough on that one. Uh, That's absolutely (laughs) fascinating. And I think the... um you know, we talk a lot here about the kind of the the line between social structures and religion and how the two interplay. And you know, obviously with a with a, with a deep history of a thing called patriarchy in the world, it, it's quite a common uh, situation that I think lots of religions find themselves in. Um, 
Can I ask, as someone who hasn't read the Christian scriptures uh, in a lot of detail, what are the kind of the the Bible based reasons that are, that are given for not ordaining women? <laughs> Jamal, you're just asking the wrong question again. Because why should I put? Why should I allow the argument to be framed in terms of what prohibits? I would much rather talk about what encourages and what informs and what inspires. Mm. But I will tell you, um, there there is a, a little passage by St. Paul that says women shall keep silent in the churches. And we don't. We sing. We do all kinds of things in the churches. We don't keep silent. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so it sounds like there's this really <laughs> narrow kind of interpretation that that might that might argue to prevent the ordination of women, but then as you mentioned, right, a, a broader call to inclusion and an understanding um, that that you know God's place is is for everyone. Is that, is that if I'm understanding it correctly? And and if you think well, going right back to the beginning of the Christian scriptures, and I won't go through page by page, I promise. But right back at the beginning of the Christian scriptures in the creation account, we have the, the creation of humanity, the creation of the, the earthling from the earth and, and the creation of male and female in God's image. And so straight away, there is this very clear message that all people are created in God's image. There's not, you know, gender is spiritually neutral. And, and when I look at male and female, I just need to make this note because I, I heard where you went last week with the conversation. And in the same creation story, it talks about, and there was evening and there was morning, you know, the first day, the second day, whatever. Evening and morning as we understand them, are not the entirety of the day. But those terms are used to capture the entirety of the day, the whole day, the 24-hour cycle. And I understand that, that when Scripture says male and female created in the image of God, it's using those terms to encompass everyone mm. because we've come to know that not everyone fits within that binary. Mm. Uh, but I absolutely believe that everyone is created in God's image and much beloved by God. That probably takes us really neatly to, to maybe where you might have been expecting that we'd start the conversation, Tanya, <laughs> because if male and female or all of humanity together um, kind of represent the image of God, what does that mean about how we see God and how we perceive God uh, and I mean bouncing off the the previous conversation does gender play into this in any way shape or form yeah gender clearly has played into it but um, as you said Jamal I think that's so much about um, society and patriarchy rather than about our our belief system um, when I think about God, for me, God is. If you ask me, well, what on earth does that mean? I guess I think, well, God is mystery. I don't think of God in a human form. And there is that lovely line 
God created humanity in God's image and humanity tried to return the favour. Um, so we do create God in our own image. We, in, in all of the metaphors and similes that we try and find to, to talk about God and think about God, um, certainly the old man in the sky has been a, a really dominant one. Um, and I probably as a child I thought that. I think so. Uh, but now I I guess my understanding of God is that God is too big to be limited into something that I could look at and see and certainly see as in, in human form or anything like that. Um, and I think words you used last time was God transcends gender. God transcends anything that's human. God is so utterly different from the human being, uh, which from the Christian point of view is, is why the incarnation was such an amazing transformational thing um, where, where God is entering into all of creation in a way that one would think was impossible for God who is, let's use the big word, ontologically so different. Um, sorry about that. Um, we like big words yeah. on this podcast, Tanya, you're fine. <laughs> well, and, and, and as you said, right, I think that, that really aligns with, I guess, my conception of God as someone that doesn't personally know God. But, like, I've always understood God too. Yeah, like, th that it would almost be inherently... I don't want to say demeaning, but like it would be inherently belittling to God. Idolatrous. To, yeah. Idolatrous is the word we use. Mm. To, to, <laughs> to try and bring God into, well, God is a you know, bearded old white man in the sky. It's like, well, you know, certainly, yeah, as you said, idolatrous. Isn't that making an idol of God when God is bigger than that? Yeah, yeah. And, of course, the, the problem that metaphors work both ways Um as I, I again, I think you pointed out last week that um, if we see God as male, shaped by our language, shaped by images, we might see um, with the metaphor working both ways. There's a cross contamination that that somehow this this image is built that male is therefore God, and so there's that reinforcement for all of the excesses, all of the the bad things of of patriarchal society. Mm. Um, yeah. So when I talk about God, I, I very much try to avoid using gendered pronouns. And luckily there are non-binary people now who are helping me get used to using they as a pronoun. Um, I'm still not that good with the people, but with the God stuff, I think I normally get it because I just don't think about God, he. I think about Jesus, he. And I'm, I'm talking too much, but I'm going to tell you a story anyway. Please, you are here um, to talk. This is, this is good. <laughs> um, when I was heading towards 12, not quite 12, um, I went through a year of lessons with, with my peers of what we call confirmation. And um, in those days, 100 years ago, uh, before the confirmation service in our church, there was a what they what they called a public examination, where in front of the congregation we had to sit there at the front and answer questions that were put to us by the pastor. And as it happened, there were two pastors there that day because one of my godmothers was married to a minister, 
and so he had come along for the confirmation as well and he asked permission to ask me a question and the pastor said go ahead and the question that he asked me and this was back in 1967 was is God male or female and I have no idea why he asked me that question and I it wasn't something that I'd ever thought about but as an 11 year old I did some quick thinking and thought well Jesus was male but then I pointed out uh, the Genesis passage which is the one that said that male and female are created in the image of God and that um, my understanding therefore was that God was not male or female God was able to you know be related to by all of humanity and yeah, whatever I said I wouldn't have used the word humanity that was too big for an 11 year old um, <laughs> how did the pastor take that I actually don't remember I think I was just so stunned at such a question mm. but for me, since that time, I've been very clear about understanding that God is not limited to whatever category that we want to make of, you know, just too small to put in any box of our making. Yeah. And I think about the metaphors for God. I, I, don't, I don't think about talking about God in inclusive language. I love the phrase expansive language. Use your imagination, use your creativity, draw on all of the old images. And, you know, God is just beyond anything we can understand. And so the more pictures that we can bring up, you know, the, ah, the more exciting it is and the more we perhaps will come to know God. I guess I'm interested in the experience of what it's like trying to change the church um, and to, you know, um, from from what I can hear, you have a really deep and theologically sound, uh, you know, experience and understanding of God. You know, I, I think it'd be hard for anyone to make the claim that you are not somehow, you know, aware of 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 the of the the text and of the Bible and of of understanding God. So yeah, like how is that? I guess approaching the Lutheran Church and trying to drive this change. Um, from a place where, at least theologically, I would, I, I would, I would imagine it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I have in my mind a, a lot of kind of like older, wider guys being like, "Well, yeah, you, know, you just don't understand the text," and it's clear that that doesn't He's apply got a to you. So, reasonable how does, how does mental that work? <laughs> yeah. Um, look, the, the church is made up of people, which is you know one of the main things that's wrong with the church, probably. Um, I, I do wonder sometimes, like you know. God has decided that the church is going to be, you know, God's presence amongst the world, right? And and we talk about the church as the body of Christ and that that imagery. And I wonder sometimes, like, is is this really like the best idea, God? Is this a, is this the best thing you could come up with, really? Sorry, Tanya. Yes, yes, <laughs> we're on the same track, aren't we? Um, so where was I going with that? That the people within the church are very diverse in the way they think about all kinds of things, including how they think about God, how they think about gender. Um, and I have been, I'll say lucky, we could use the word blessed if we want to, but I, um, I've been just so lucky in, in the, 
the ministers that I've had through the years, the friends that I've had through the years, the congregations I've belonged to, where people have been always open to exploring and and thinking. And I mean, in each of those places, um, each of the congregations, there, of course, would have been people who were very traditional in the way that they would think about things. And well, there's there's even been a difference, say, between the last two ministers in the congregation I go to. Using non-gendered language for God has been important in the group that I worship with for a very long time, and it's something that is second nature for us. Um, I reckon, let me think, 15, 16 years ago, a new minister came for whom this was not something that he'd really been particularly aware of and I think it took him about three weeks to just nail it within no time at all he was able to preach um, and speak very naturally about God without needing to use he and him all the time um, but then he left oh, about eight years ago and uh, a new minister came and it was so odd to hear this person using he and him all the time when referring to God. And we were a little bit mean and, you know, sometimes we would record how often the pronoun was used during a sermon and, and present that to him. Um, he tries hard, but it's still not natural. It's something that is just so ingrained in him that he finds it, it really difficult. Um, so, but I think over the years it's become easier and easier. So what am I saying in that? Um, I've been lucky. I've had the right people around me. It's not been a solo effort by any means. In fact, the first person that raised the issue in my congregation, the one I'm still with, I don't know, 40 years later or something, uh, was someone who was doing their honours in psychology on the use of the inclusive he. So going back to the time when in the English language it was understood that he covered, or, or more to the point that the word men covered humanity. We talked about mankind and, in the olden days rather than humankind. That was, yeah. that was the way that people spoke, yeah. Yeah, and um, she was doing research talking to, I think it was three to five-year-olds and getting an idea of how they understood sentences where the word men was contained. And they very clearly understood it to be a male person. They did not hear it as, as something that encompassed humanity. And she was exploring what that actually meant to the development of little boys and little girls and how they fitted within society. And she she looked at the church as well. She belonged to the same church that I did. And she was the one who really called us to account and said, do you really want your little girls growing up having no idea they're created in God's image, having no idea that they are equally beloved by God, having no idea that being a girl is not at all a problem in God's sight? Um, so I was happy to 
enter into those discussions and, and yeah, we're just gone from there. But I've noticed that when we've done things, and this is going beyond the thinking about God language, it's, it's into the area of um, the activity of women in the church, that people have come as guests, seen what's happening, gone back to their own congregation and tried it there. And so I know I've been trying to do a lot very um, intentionally in the last few years around the ordination of women, but so much of that work that had to come before it was just happening bit by bit, you know, as people saw it happening. Long answer, but that's my answer. No, it's, it's super interesting. Um, where Where is the ordination of women up to in the Lutheran Church? I, I, I'm aware that, uh, for example, the Anglican Church, I think, allows it, the Uniting Church, I, I don't know if they're a subset of the Anglican Church or not, but they allow it as far as I'm aware. Um, There's a subset of the Anglican Church that doesn't, okay, would be the, yep. the better way to put it, I okay, think. Okay, yep, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, obviously the Catholics don't. Are there are there other churches that do allow it? And I guess where, where does the Lutheran Church sit in that in that kind of spectrum? Yeah, um, if you look, certainly if you look across the world and even within Australia, there's a lot of variety between different denominations. And apart from the Catholics and the Orthodox, um, certainly the, the main line denominations in general do ordain women. Um, as Jacob was alluding to, there there are a couple of dioceses within the Anglican Church in Australia that don't, um, that hold to a, a male-only pastorate. Um, throughout the world, the Lutheran Church has been ordaining, I think, since about 1927, but it's country by country. So there's no, there's no uh, overarching body uh, for decision making like there is in the Catholic Church. There's no, There's no pope. Lutheran Pope. Yeah, shock yeah. horror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so it's it's up to each not not even just each country but um, uh, what do you go into here? It gets too complicated. Uh, what you might call a synod. So a group of churches who have agreed to work together on on things like the training and and um, placement of ministers, you know, becomes a synod. And um, so, so for instance, within the United States, um, there are kind of four major Lutheran synods, and two of them ordain women and men, and two of them ordain men only. Okay. Yeah, and in India, um, last time I actually checked, there were ten different synods um, and at that time well when I first knew about it uh, five were ordaining women and five weren't I think it's nine and one now but I'm not I haven't checked that for a long time but it it's been a gradual process and it's been a process that has been sort of speeding up in recent years uh, it's probably a lovely what's the right curve is um, asymptotic curve is that the right name Whatever. Actually, sorry, the mathematician thing reminds me of this time a Christian and a Buddhist walked into a bar 
Um, and they were walking into a bar and they saw a mathematician sitting at the bar, right? And she was doing some like some calculations. As you do. As you do. And, yeah, and just like really frantically writing on a piece of paper. So they go up to her and go like, you know, what are you calculating here? And she was like, well, I, I'm a theological mathematician, right? So and I've just come up with this brand new idea. And like, okay, like let's hear it. And so she says, all right, so if Mary is the mother of Jesus and Jesus is the lamb of God, does that mean that Mary had a little lamb? Probably. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the, the jokes right. are as bad as ever, Tanya. I don't laugh at dad jokes. <laughs> Fair enough. It's good we should have you on more often I, just look, for that. Jacob doesn't laugh at my jokes either, right? So the, the, the ego just gets Sometimes a you get a laugh. Episode. Sometimes, but this is what it is. It's helping you become disattached. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, Unattached. so um, so I'm I'm not sure if I went over this in the in the episode we had on God and gender, but um, for I guess some context from the Buddhist perspective, I I am part of a um, of a lineage of Buddhism. Um, um, it's not quite a lineage yet, but it'll probably evolve into a lineage, which is connected to the Thai Theravada forest tradition, which um I kind of brand as the Catholic Church of of uh, Buddhism, um and. In that tradition, and in most traditions uh, in Buddhism, women are not able to be ordained. And the the monk uh, who's based out of Perth, Arjun Brahm, who I tend to um, probably follow the, the most teachings of, uh, was excommunicated from from his um, from his lineage for ordaining women. Um, and yeah, um, I remember I was listening to something about it again recently, and you know the the kind of the interesting story there of you know he ordained these women. He uh, got recalled uh, to kind of confront the the elders of the lineage, um, and you know, um, essentially was asked, you know, you need to recant, you need to say that that ordination wasn't valid, and just outright refused to, and was just like, no, they're actually full monastics. I'm not going to recant that. I'll apologize for the fact that I did it. You know, I I I I, I will admit that you know maybe I shouldn't have done that in line with your specific lineage things, but no, I'm not going to take the kind of the spiritual ordination back um and what was really fascinating yeah. <laughs> what was really fascinating about that is that that has actually in effect reinstated the nun's order in buddhism globally because the way that it had worked for years and years was that you know you needed a fully ordained monastic to ordain another fully ordained monastic and really so you know there were nuns in the buddha's time and the nuns order existed for quite a while and then died out uh and then you know the cultural things kicked in and the um you know the various um you know the various groups in thailand and sri lanka and etc didn't ordain women and refused to so you know nuns weren't a thing there and no nuns could get ordained and yet um yeah so the, when arjun brahm reordained these three nuns initially, that has now led to a much, you know, a, a real broad spreading of the nuns order. And now, you know, there are hundreds, almost maybe, maybe close to thousands of nuns that exist in the world. And that, that nuns lineage and that nuns um, order can now exist again because now they have nuns to ordain future nuns. And, you know, that kind of act of rebellion has just essentially restarted this whole thing that died out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are certainly people within my church, that is my, my denomination in Australia, who believe that to be faithful to the gospel, to the gospel that says that 
um, in Christ we are all one. There are no divisions. Um, we should, if we're ordaining men, we should also be ordaining women. And there are quite a number of congregations throughout Australia who, in the absence of um, a trained, qualified and ordained man, have chosen the person within their community who is most gifted for the role of leading them. Uh, and many of them are being led by women. At the moment, it's kind of like this open secret thing. Um, and that makes me sad because it means that those women who are providing that really valuable service to the community are not receiving the support of the wider church. They're not, um, often they have sought um, education for themselves and, and qualifications, but um, not the qualification that, that the institutional church considers is the right one. But to me, the fact that they are there and that congregations and women and the men that support them are getting braver and are more likely now to put their head above the parapet um, despite the risk of, of having it shot off, uh, I, I do think that has made a difference to how many people within the denomination think about the ordination of women because the, the majority of people within the Lutheran Church in Australia and New Zealand do think that women should be ordained and who think that on theological and biblical grounds. But unfortunately, we have a, a voting system that says you have to get a, a supra-majority uh, in order for that to become um, what happens. So, okay. <sighs> what are the long journey. <laughs> Uh, what are the consequences of doing so against kind of the wishes of a synod? Like you said, having your head shot off from the parapets. Um, I, I would hope that would be an um, analogy. But the, yeah. the consequence to this point has mainly been um, bullying, um, gently expressed displeasure from those that are uh, in hierarchical positions. So... Um, Maybe the gently expressed displeasure actually happens more than the bullying. I would hope so. Um, congregations could be put outside of the, the fellowship, so could be asked to leave the denomination. Um, that hasn't happened really over the women issue because it's always a, a much bigger issue, um, like how, how scripture is being interpreted or the role of the Holy Spirit or you know, something like that if a congregation and minister chooses to leave the church. Um, the emotional pressure on women who are in those leadership roles is huge. I think it's better now than it has been in the past. Uh, I've certainly felt it very strongly in the past on myself, whereas I think either my skin is thicker or they've given up on me at this point. Um, but if we go back to the 1980s, I was the first lay woman in Australia in the Lutheran Church to be given the title of chaplain. I was working with university students at the time and 
um, pressure happened in funny ways. You know, I, if I'd, I'd be at, at certain places and usually a total stranger would come up to me and let me know that what I was doing was not permissible. Um, I, was, I was doing the wrong thing by serving in that way. And there were people who would get up at, uh, when, when the church within the state or even within the national body was meeting and would decry this, this woman who calls herself a chaplain or, uh, you know, whatever the phrase was. And, and there was stuff printed in um, little, oh, what do we call them, little, little sort of magazines of, of subgroups within the Lutheran Church um, magazine produced to try and call the, the faithful to their their traditional position. And uh, I was called nice names like the spawn of Satan and things like that, you know. So the emotional pressure, you need to not minimise. It's, it's there, it's real. Um, but what's fantastic is that women are usually very good at finding their support group um, and and men in leadership are starting to realize that they also need to be very supportive of any woman who's in that kind of position absolutely um so unfortunately we have run out of time which shocks me because i feel like we've been talking for about 10 minutes um but uh, look, we wanted to say thank you so much for joining us today, Tanya. Uh, it's been excellent. Um, mm. um, I have learnt so much. It is a wonderful thing you're doing, and it's a wonderful, uh, you know, it's, it's a wonderful, I guess, really, to me, a modern and faithful understanding of of the Word of God and all of that. And so I'm really, really pleased to be talking with you. And um, yeah, I do you have anything else you want to you want to say before you go do you want to close us out on anything do you, do you need to plug your book again it's been a pleasure yes if anyone is interested in reading about um or reading from those who have uh written about the ordination of women from a supportive point of view within the lutheran church the book is called unless they are sent which comes from a Bible verse that says, look, how's anyone going to hear unless there's someone to preach the word? How's, how can they preach the word, you know, unless they are sent? Well, there's the question. Absolutely. Um, well, that's all we have time for, folks. Thank you so much. This is, uh, this is a Christian and Buddhist walk into a bar. You can find us at christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. You certainly can. The music this week and always is by Kevin McLeod. Thank you for that, Kevin. And please take this podcast and share it with a friend, um, maybe one of your old stodgy white dude friends. Uh, and, and see Or if it, you see have, it. like, young, hip, cool Asian friends, like, that's okay too. I was, I was thinking about, like, just, just undermining patriarchy by just sending <laughs> them this podcast. But, yeah, I love it. We'll see you next week. So we'll see how it goes when you edit it, whether it makes any sense at all. <laughs>